your financial future will be formed, shaped, built, and defined by the relationships you create. Listen to people, invest in people, hold yourself accountable to people. It makes all the difference in the world. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui. You know, back in September, I was at a GoBundance Mastermind in uh, Colorado. And I think a lot of you guys uh, have heard about that a little bit on the podcast that I've been interviewing different GoBundance members that were there and with us during that kind of celebration event that we get together. You know, we're going to have a few podcasts I'm going to release over the next couple months that are part of this special series that I'm calling like our GoBundance Mastermind series. So I talked to the guys over GoBundance and some of the speakers that we had come on. I just thought it'd be great if I was able to share some of them with you guys. And so I went ahead, I got the recordings, I got permission to share this. And so this is one of those special podcasts uh, that you can get a piece of. It was part of the GoBundance Mastermind. And this is where guys paid... You have thousands of dollars to get together, hear these speakers, and I wanted you guys to be able to hear it too. So also, if you're interested in learning more about GoBundance for men or GoBundance for women or about masterminds, things like that, please uh, reach out to me or you can reach out to GoBundance and let them know I sent you. But now here we go for one of our episodes from our special GoBundance Mastermind series. All right, guys, Aaron here again. I just want to give a quick intro for this video that you're about to be able to watch or this podcast you're about to be able to hear. This speaker, the guy named James Webb. James has a fantastic story. He just came out with a new book. His new book is called Redneck Resilience. But man, if you have ever you know, heard that story of being able to start from nothing and create something so giant, but also have so many stories of ups and downs and starting over. You know, a lot of my listeners, you guys know that I essentially, I went broke three times, you know, and so the knock on wood, it's not going to happen again, but I did well and lost it all, did well and lost it all. And man, this guy has so many stories like that on so many better extremes. So I hope you guys love listening to this one. You're going to learn a lot about work ethic. You're going to relearn about work ethic and different methods that are out there, whether you're watching this, on YouTube and getting to see a slideshow or just listening to it on the podcast, I promise uh, you guys are going to enjoy this one. So here is the interview with James Webb from the GoBundance Mastermind. So I've literally, I've literally been thinking about this exact moment for almost a year. I'm not making this up. So I can't tell you how much respect I have for the two people that are about to come up. Not only, not only professionally do I think they are absolutely crushing it in their space, you'll hear about that. But these are two truly people that I absolutely, in my heart of hearts, love because what you've done, and especially to our keynote speaker you're about to hear from, the story he's about to share is truly miraculous. I'm going to let you, Jason Potts, introduce our speaker. So warm welcome, Jason Potts. 
Good evening, Go Abundance. How are we? Yes. My name is Jason Potts, and for those of you who didn't get to hear me speak day before yesterday, you missed out. For, uh, for tonight, though, I own the Lifetime Companies. We're a family office services group. And for the last 20 years, I have watched this guy build enterprise value time and time again. And we can all sit here and build enterprise value within our companies, but it's another thing to recognize that value on exit. I have watched him make multimillionaires out of the youngsters who started with him 20 years ago and stuck with him through all of his exits. He is one of those guys that I promise you, you want to get to know. Sorry, James. Uh, I have watched him experience loss. I have watched him experience failure. Uh, and he's done it with dignity. And I am humbled to call him a friend. You will not find a more capable businessman, one who is selfless in almost every facet of his life, one that is generous and many times far beyond the expectation, many times at his own expense. He has amazing resolve, and above all, he has the most amazing resilience. So before we get started, I want you to rock this place in welcoming the badass, Mr. James Harold Webb. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Chris, thank you. Love you, brother. All right, how do you work this little thing? Just mash the button? Okay, good. We'll crank this thing up here. So, my name is James Webb, and before we start, I'll just tell you a couple of things. One, I'm not a public speaker, so this is all kind of new stuff for me. See if that works like that. Two, today we're going to try to solve one question, and it's very simple. It's kind of how in the hell did a dumbass Southern Baptist country boy from South Mississippi build eight companies, create about a billion and a half in top line revenue, do 300 million in distributions of profits, and sell five of the companies for 200 million? Well, the answer, in my opinion, just shake my here we go. Resilience, persistence, determination, luck, failure. So resilience. The act of getting back up after getting knocked down. In my case, I think it's also about getting back up and finding the right direction. We all know persistence and determination from Calvin Coolidge is omnipotent, sits on my office wall. Luck, I cannot tell you how lucky I am. I often call myself the luckiest redneck in the world. Uh, I also find out that the harder I work, the luckier I get. Failure, we all know the adage, you don't learn from your successes, you learn from your failures. Uh, in my case, I add to that, if you haven't failed at least three times, you're probably not trying hard enough. So, I'm just going to tell you my story. I was born in South Mississippi, point this thing that way, there we go, to two teenage parents in high school who fell in love a little early in the uh, front seat of a Ford. There they are. (laughs) 
My dad worked at the local electrical shop as an apprentice, making a dollar an hour. We lived in a little house behind the apprentice shop, electric shop, excuse me. And by the time I was 25 years old, my parents had three kids. They had a $50 mortgage they couldn't make many months. And nightly, shall we say, discussions regarding bills. And as long as I can remember, I always wanted more. Now there's the little house there. This is the little house we grew up in. I'll just put in a few little pictures, and then we'll go to the next slide. There's my three little brothers. Two little brothers, excuse me. Now, my first fish. I love fishing. Oh, and we were five generations, now three times, because in Laurel, Mississippi, everybody gets married around 16. <laughs> so, when I was a little kid, I recognized that I got a lot from my parents in terms of love, but not a lot of hope, a lot of not more than love. So if I wanted it, I had to do it myself. So I started making potholders when I was five years old, selling them for a nickel apiece at the local church bazaar. My best guess is I sold about a thousand of them because I could buy a lawnmower for $39. And when I was eight years old, I started the James Webb lawnmower service and I mowed yards and raked leaves all over town, making enough money. Side story, and you'll hear me say side story a lot tonight. I was a little over five years old, swinging on the swing set as high as I could go, singing Jesus Loves Me. And I fell off and I bit my tongue off. Uh, my family rushed me to the hospital. Doctors decided that since it was my tongue, they couldn't give me any deadening medicine or anesthesia. So they tied me to a table and they sewed my tongue back on. No anesthesia, no deadening medicine. By the time I got home, the stitches came out. I went back to the hospital. They tied me down, sewed my tongue back on. No, no deadening medicine, no anesthesia. The next morning, I woke up in a pool of blood. They tied me down. They double sewed my tongue back on. No anesthesia, no deadening medicine. And it might explain later why I had an affinity for not going to see doctors when I felt bad. From the lawnmower business, I bought a bicycle, a Swin 10-speed bike. And in my little town, a Swin 10-speed was the shit. <laughs> so I started a paper route and um, did that up until I was about 13 years old, at which point I bought my first car, 13 years old. 1966 Plymouth, Plymouth Belvedere II station wagon. That was it before I painted the rims black and put a hush thrush muffler on it because I thought I was cool. When I was 14, I went to work for the local printing company, initially wrapping packages and padding pads. I worked my way up to the time I was a senior in high school. I was a senior press man. I worked in the DECA program. I got off school at noon and I worked eight hour shifts, five days a week, uh, and somehow got through high school. Got involved in the martial arts early, um, had a lot of fun with it. One second place in the state of Mississippi in my division. I can tell you today I would run like a girl and uh, probably not put it to use because it's been a long, long time. High school pitcher, right before I went to college. I learned a great lesson in resilience from my dad. When I was a freshman, he started his own air conditioning repair company. Uh, when I was a junior, the IRS showed up and shut him down, said he hadn't been paying his taxes. Turns out his accountant had been skimming the money they locked his bank account up, his personal bank accounts up. And I can remember my dad coming in and going, 
I got to go get a real job. And he went out and got a job as a salesman for an electrical supply company. And he paid every penny back to the IRS, every penny he owed to every vendor he had used, and he replenished our family savings account. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui for a quick commercial break. So during 2020 and 2021, the real estate market completely changed. There's so much competition in the market, so many people trying to buy and sell houses, but there's hardly any supply, hardly any product, hardly anyone willing to list their homes. It's time for every agent out there to become a hybrid agent investor to be able to reach out directly to homeowners to try to get them to sell or list their house. We've got a new website. Go to leadpropeller.com and you can set up your own investor buyer website in just minutes. You'll set up your own URL, set up phone numbers, help go through the leads, help reach out to people that aren't listing their pro- their property currently and have them fill out a form that says, hey, I want to sell my house. And then as an agent, you can go through and make them a hybrid offer. You can tell them, hey, I think your house would sell for $220,000 on MLS, but I can either write you a $180,000 cash offer right now, or I can help you fix it up and you'll list it for $220,000 on MLS. These are buyers that are looking for quick cash offers. Tens of thousands are submitting these forms every single day and they're skipping the listing process. But so many of you guys out there are such good agents, it's a great opportunity to get that lead and help them maximize sales price for their home. So again, go to leadpropeller.com and think about signing up for your own investor site so buyers will start reaching out to you, asking you to make an offer on their home. Graduate high school, not sure what I'm gonna do. Minister of Music of our church goes, hey James, if you'll come sing in the church choir, I'll give you a half scholarship. Half scholarship at that time was $250 a quarter. I needed that, so I did it, sang in the choir. About a week before school started, though, I woke up with blood on my pillow. I cleaned my ears up, coming from my ears. I hid the pillow. The next morning, I woke up with more blood on my pillow. I hid the pillow. I cleaned my ears up. The third morning, I woke up with blood on my pillow, and I couldn't get out of bed. I was rushed to the hospital. They determined that I had encephalitis of the brain infection caused by benign tumors called cholesteatomas. I had been ignoring the earaches for quite a while. Cholesteatomas secrete cholesterol, which is a fatty acid. The acid ate through my ear, through my skull, into the dura of my brain. I spent a week in ICU, two more weeks in the hospital. Unfortunately, missed the first quarter of school, but went for the second quarter, sang in the choir. While walking through the campus one day, I saw a sign that said, want to be an x-ray tech, call this number. I thought x-ray tech sounds kind of cool. So I applied for the program, was accepted. Met Regina, young little girl from Petal, Mississippi, which made Laurel look like New York City. One day I was taking her home to introduce her to my parents. I looked down the street and I saw a bunch of fire trucks and I thought, oh, those poor people next door, they just bought that house and now it's on fire. Only it wasn't their house. It was ours. I couldn't find my parents, so I ran into the blazing inferno. Thank goodness some firemen pulled me out. I found my mom. She was crying. She said, we're okay, but we can't find Snoopy, our little beagle. So I ran back in, found Snoopy underneath a little counter, brought him out. Snoopy and I both suffered a good bit of smoke inhalation, but we survived. Graduated x-ray tech school, got married, lived in the married couple's dormitories at University of Southern Mississippi. 
decided I wanted to go back to college to get my bachelor's degree. So I enrolled at a local small private college called William Carey College. It was also in Hattiesburg. They gave credits for my x-ray license. I got, I think, 25 college credits. I worked the night job at the local hospital in the emergency room from 2 in the afternoon to 10 at night. I did a 10-day shift on, four days off. On my four days off, I worked in the little county hospitals on a 48-hour straight shift. Friday night at 5 o'clock, they'd give me a hospital room to sleep in and a card for the cafeteria, and I would work 48 hours straight. In the daytime, I carried a full load in college, so 13 days on, one day off, full load in college. Graduated with a bachelor's degree in radiologic technology with a minor in business. The day before I graduated, hospital administration called me, said, we want to talk to you. I went up to meet him. I was a little nervous. They said, we want to offer you the job director of education of the radiologic technology program. So at 21 years of age, 18 months after I graduated from the program, I was named director of the program. I had 15 students. Seven of them were my age or older. Three of them I went to high school with. Learned a lot of lessons about managing people. Learned I didn't mind being on center stage too much. Uh, enjoyed teaching, but realized that it just wasn't enough for me yet. Get a little water here. Chris, you didn't tell me that your mouth gets so dry talking this much. So I was radiology director, for, uh, education director for about 18 months. One day, sitting in my little house on 13th Avenue, I uh, decided I wanted to do graduate school, get into hospital administration, and I literally had a beer in one hand and a quarter in the other, and I flipped it. I said to Regina, heads we go to Atlanta, tails we go to Dallas. The next day, I quit my job, turned in a resignation. Two weeks later, I loaded up a pickup truck and a bass boat, and I moved from Laurel, Mississippi to Duncanville, Texas, just south of Dallas. Slept in the pickup truck for a couple of nights trying to figure out what the fuck I'd just done. <laughs> the first six months weren't a whole lot of fun. It was a basic x-ray tech at a local hospital. So I decided to apply for a job that I definitely was not qualified for. The chief technologist of a much larger hospital in the bigger suburb of Louisville. Hospital owned by HCA. Lo and behold, I got the job. So at 23 years of age, I was chief technologist. I had about 25 employees, of which 22 were older than me. Uh, I simply got the job because I had a college degree and they didn't. Enrolled at the University of North Texas in their graduate program for night school. Three months, three months after being the chief technologist, the director of radiology, Judy Cooper, still a friend of mine to this day, called me in her office and said, I'm resigning my job and going to UT Southwestern and recommending you for the job. Radiology administrator for Louisville Memorial Hospital. They hired me, I was 24 years old. I was also assigned to the hospital executive committee. And for the next four years, I worked a pretty much an eight to five job, running a radiology department, went to school at night, way before the internet, and had my beautiful daughter, Elizabeth Jane Webb, born in 1986. Graduated from North Texas in 86 as well, was interviewing with HCA to potentially be a hospital administrator when a gentleman by the name of Barry O'Brien walked in the door and said, we're putting these big old things called MRIs in trailers. We're running them around the country, going from hospital to hospital. Why don't you join us? 
He talked me into it. I accepted the job. We started out with three mobile routes. I worked my butt off 60 hours a week, building routes and employees. Uh, by the time we finished, we had 53 trucks running all over the country. We were the second largest. I'm sitting in my office in Dallas, Texas. I'm 30 years old. I've got a secretary. I've got 300 employees. I've got a vice president title. Once again, thinking I'm hot shit, and the phone rings and says, uh, Mr. Webb, we have sold the company, and since you have no equity, you are fired. Your desk needs to be cleaned out by the end of today. Yeah, I was a hired gun. Went home, freaked out a little bit, decided to go play golf, went and played golf. And uh, since I was kind of known in the industry, two days later I had a job in Atlanta, Georgia, working for a publicly traded company as a regional director of operations. Bigger company, stepped down in position. Regina and I were having troubles in the marriage, so we decided to take a little break. I went to Atlanta, she stayed in Dallas. She finally joined me in about six months. I'm trying to remember all these slides, yeah. And Atlanta was tough. Uh, I didn't like my job, didn't like my boss of the company. In fact, I may be the only person to ever use the F-bomb to him, uh, but I did, the day I quit. And uh, my marriage was rocky. My parents were going through a divorce. My brother was going through a divorce with his wife. And my grandfather left my grandmother after, uh, for another woman that I had an affair with for 30 years. Left in a little trailer in Mississippi. I suspect I have cousins out there I don't know. Side note, as I always do little side stories, I sued my own grandfather. Uh, won his retirement check for my grandmother. Later on, he called my dad and said, can I come home? My dad went to my grandmother. She said, sure. He came home, the whole family kissed and made up, and I took care of them until they passed away, probably 10 years later. As I mentioned, the marriage was rocky. I didn't like my job. Fortunately, got offered another job in Boca Raton, Florida, as chief operating officer and president of a medical imaging company that was physician joint ventured imaging centers. By then, laws had changed that model where physicians could no longer have ownership in places they sent patients. I was hired to restructure the company, take it forward. So off I went to Boca Raton, Florida. I also, Virginia and I filed for divorce. And for the next six months, I simply traveled, living out of hotels, going from center to center to center, introducing myself, trying to understand their structure, what they did. I was at one of the centers, sitting at a little desk, working, having that, you know, meet the boss kind of thing. And a young lady walked in and said, Where's your cowboy boots? I thought all you boys from Texas wore cowboy boots. And I wasn't wearing cowboy boots, but I was smitten with Marsha Beth Fisher. We had a great working relationship that turned into romance. Three years in the relationship was long distance. We were contemplating her moving to Boca Raton, where I was now living. Another side story, I was a Southern Baptist kid. Marsha was a big city Jewish girl. Uh, didn't quite know how we were going to make that work. She was insistent upon raising our children Jewish, if we had any. I called my two brothers who were Southern Baptist ministers, and I said, what am I supposed to do? They said, you don't have to do anything. The Jews are God's chosen people. Marry her. So I did. We were married in a nice little ceremony, and life was pretty good. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Buchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself 
to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. And I know, I know you guys would much rather listen to the content and not the ads and not the sponsors, but this is one that I'm actually super, super excited with. You know, so many of the realtors that we interview on the show, they talk about how much systems are important and how much follow-up is important. And I'm really, really excited about our new sponsor. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time. And when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. You know, on an interview last week with Agent Mark McGuire, I asked him what his favorite software and what his favorite system was. And he said it was Follow Up Boss. And then he went on for another three or four minutes to talk about why Follow Up Boss was the best CRM he uses. So there's a lot of superstars out, out there that use follow-up boss. Some of the stats they gave me, Robert Slack, 1.5 billion team in Florida, number one in the US. He uses follow-up boss to get a 400% ROI on its massive paid lead spend. Deborah Beagle, co-owner of the Ashton Group in Nashville, uses follow-up boss to guarantee the agents who join her team get two homes under contract in the first 90 days. That's a big guarantee for new agents. Barry Jenkins of the, your friends in real estate uses Follow Up Boss to automate everything so his team can produce 200 million on 25 hour work weeks. All right, so here's an offer. You guys are gonna get this special for being Real Estate Rockstars listeners. Now I've, I've used Follow Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing, and what do, what do you know, best name ever, Follow Up. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, you get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com forward slash rockstars. So again, followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. All right, everybody, thanks again. Now back to our show. So I'm making a nice income, have a nice little house, starting to build a family. Dr. George Lakeese walks in the door. George was from Trinidad and Tobago, worked in Florida, was moving back home to become Minister of Health, wanted to bring medical technology, MRI specifically, to the Caribbean. Wanted to know if our company would do it. I knew the guys, my bosses, the chairman of them, that's not something they would do, but I thought I might. So I called my boss up and I said, Steve, I need two favors. I need you to fire me so I can exercise my severance package. And I need you to be my first investor. And he said, okay. So I had six months salary to live on and a little money in the bank from investors and off I took. And for the next three and a half years, I traveled all over the Caribbean, all over Latin America, South America, building imaging centers and cath labs, was successful in Trinidad, Tobago, and in Honduras, and the Bahamas. Did a couple more back in Miami. But the big one was Nicaragua. I made 53 trips from Miami to Managua trying to do and finally save that deal. I'll just give you three quick stories. Trip number 51, I decided to climb a volcano, the Vulcan Messiah. It was common to climb, so it wasn't that difficult, but at the top of it was a little bridge built out over a diving board, everyone would call it, and you could walk out and literally stand down and look in the pits of hell and see the lava. So I just said, okay, I'll do that. Sulfur burning my lungs, my face felt like it was on fire, and I looked up and there was one Sandinista soldier, right about over there, 
picks up his gun and points it at me. And for a split second, I thought, they'll never find me. I'm going to fall in this lava. I will be the D.B. Cooper of medical imaging world. But he smiled and put the gun down. My resolve was shaken but not broken. Trip number 52, I went to my attorney and said, who's the largest employer in town? Oh, senor, that will be the Sandinistas. I said, that's bullshit. That's the Oliver North stuff long time ago. He goes, no, they don't run the government, but they control the military and the police, and they're the largest employer. I said, really? Can you get me a meeting with the Sandinistas? Are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm sure. So he set up a meeting. We drove out into the jungle to meet the medical director of the Sandinista Army, and it was straight out of a Rambo movie. A little iron, rusty gate, nobody around. I walked up, banged on the gate. Next thing I know, I'm thrown against the gate. I got a gun here, I got a gun here, and I got a gun here. People screaming at me. And all I can say is Chamorro, which is the name of the general I was supposed to see. And it felt like an eternity. It was probably a minute. Uh, but they let us go, escorted us in. We had a nice meeting with the general. He also turned out to be a doctor, understood the technology, but nothing came out of the meeting. On my 53rd trip, my bodyguard, yes, I had a bodyguard most of the time, handed me a sawed-off shotgun and said, there's a riot in the city between the police and the taxi drivers. You have to get out of here. Puts me in the back of a pickup truck, and we literally drive through the flames and the fights to get to the airport. I was on the runway, and I can remember looking out thinking, what the hell am I doing? My son Max had been born. He was about a year old at the time. Got back to Miami, called my investors and said, I'm done. I got to sell this company. And I did. Sold it to an international group, uh, except for Nicaragua. And one of my big black scars on my career is I left a 24,000-pound MRI machine in Managua, Nicaragua. Uh, I did take care of the staff, but I have no idea what happened to the machine. So for now, I won't go back to Managua just in case. Yeah. Spent the next year, I made a little money, spent the next year consulting. Had some different opportunities, but nothing really doing it for myself. It was mostly job opportunities. I had invested about a year earlier in an imaging center back in Dallas, Texas with two buddies. It's supposed to be one of those mailbox money things where you invest in it and they send you a check. Well, no check ever came to me. They just kept going south, or in this case, I guess, northwest. So uh, in March of 2001, I packed up a three-week-old baby, my son Joey, a three-year-old three son Max, a somewhat supportive but pissed off wife, and we moved from Boca Raton, Florida to Plano, Texas. I can remember kissing her on the cheek and saying, I gotta go to work, I'll see you in four to five years. And work I did, uh, 60 hours a week, uh, eating donuts in the morning, McDonald's for lunch, I put on 55 pounds. I coached uh, little sports teams to stay in touch with my boys. Date night on Saturday night was almost a religion. Uh, and we encountered so many obstacles. I, I don't know how we survived, but we did. I'll share a couple of them with you. The first imaging center we bought, the original project was next to a hospital. We bought it from the hospital. We put a half a million dollars into it, upgraded the machine and the site. In one single day, the FBI showed up, accused the hospital of Medicare fraud, arrested the hospital administrator. And in one day, fired 400 employees, shut the hospital down, city of Dallas turned off our utilities and revoked our certificate of occupancy. 
Police knocked on my door and said, you have 10 days to vacate the property. One, you never want to turn the power off on a 24,000 pound machine powered by helium and nitrogen. My experience had been you had about 10 days before they would implode or explode. On the ninth day and out of desperation, I went before the city council of Dallas to plead our case when they had an open forum. People talked about dog parts and dog poop and aliens and flying aliens and it was nuts. And I can tell you that nobody on that council could have given a damn about what I said. So we left pretty much dejected, but in the parking lot, a young man came up and said, I work for the city manager's office and I can help you. And the next day we had our power back on. We had our own certificate of occupancy next to a dead house building, no less, but we were at least back in business. Our lender was DVI Financial Services. DVI was a publicly traded company. They did about a billion three a year in transactions and they would take knuckleheads like me who knew the business but didn't have any money, and they would finance us. But when I say finance us, they would own us. Factored our receivables, we personally guaranteed everything, we collateralized every single thing we had with them. We were on our, I think we built our third imaging center, we were on our fourth when my partner called and said, hey, there's no money in the bank from DVI. And I called my DVI rep, no answer. I called his boss, no answer. I called the president, no answer. I funded payroll that day for my employees, jumped on a plane and flew to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, walked in the door, met by another FBI agent. Turns out DVI executives were double selling paper. They'd take all your guys' loans, put them together, sell them to you, take the same group of loans and sell them to you. In one day, DVI was out of business. A federal judge stepped in, restored our factoring line at a much lower percentage. US Bank was a successor bank. They decided that since um, DVI had been messing with everybody, that 60 of us clients were in default of our notes and they foreclosed on us. We found another lender, so we keep working. I went to war in federal court for two and a half years against US Bank. We settled for the exact amount I had offered them two and a half years earlier, $600,000 on attorney fees later. Managed care company shows up, says here's your new contract contract I can't make a living on it's half of what it was before they pretty much had the attitude we don't care here's your contract same day my I got a bill from a hospital where my daughter had been in for a CT scan for seven thousand dollars and I was charging nine hundred and I had an idea and I went and met with my attorneys and we drafted an idea and the next day I canceled every single managed care contract we had and I went completely out of network create a policy that notified managed care that we were gonna treat the patients as if they were in network. So they couldn't accuse us of fraud. So we only charged the patients their in network co-pays deductibles. We told managed care, pay us whatever your policy says about being an out of network provider. And they went out all over the place. My partners thought I was crazy. Most everybody else thought I was crazy. We sent out the first bills. If you know about medical billing, it takes about 45 days to get paid. The first check showed up. If we'd been under contract, it would have been for $1,050. It was for $13,000. And we remained an out-of-network provider for 12 years. Many more obstacles, but that put us in the business. Backtrace just a little bit to 2003. I'd spent all my money. I was dead broke. I went to the uh, books to look for some money. I found $9,000. I made a distribution to my two partners and I. I think mine was about 5,000 of it. Paid my house note, paid my bills, took my wife to Bob's Steakhouse 
Never had been to the fancy steakhouse before. And uh, went back to work. The next month, there was $10,000 there. The next month, $11,000 there. By 2012, if there wasn't $700,000 to $1 million a month in there for me personally, I wanted to know why. And it lasted that way all the way to 2017. And I assure you, we made a boatload of money. We did it by doing a bunch of different things. We were a Neiman Marcus of medical imaging. We painted our machines. We had murals. We were the high-end provider. But we also looked internally at the services we were paying for, billing and collections. I bought the billing company, turned it into a revenue stream versus an expense. Service in the machines. We started our own service company to service our own MRI machines, sold those services externally. HR services, temporary staffing services, we established both of those type companies. We also looked at who were our customers. One of our biggest was pain management doctors. In those days, if you needed an injection, you had to go to the hospital or you had to go to a licensed surgery center. We created something called a procedure center, which didn't require the expensive equipment and license that a hospital or surgery center required. And um, over the next six years, we built nine facilities with 53 different pain doctors as partners. Eventually, we convert them all to licensed surgery centers because managed care kept pushing back. So in 2014, I sold the pharmacy we'd built. 2015, I sold the toxicology labs. 2017, I sold preferred imaging, 28 imaging centers for 94 million, which was my personal biggest payday. Uh, the pain management sites, we converted to ASCs, surgery centers, and I sold them off one at a time. I have a letter of intent for the last one on my desk back in Dallas. My billing company, I'm selling that one when I get back home. I have a buyer for it. Uh, and I will effectively be out of the medical industry. Thank goodness. Real estate rock stars, before this next commercial break, I just want to say thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for listening to the commercials that we put in here. This is how we're able to push the podcast you this is how we can make sure that we publish so much content and keep providing value so here we go from one of our sponsors rent ready all right guys we got to be honest here you've heard so many of the rent ready ads over the past really nine to 12 months as they've been one of our flagship sponsors for so much of the stuff that we're doing you know rent ready is a property management software and we've told you about this truly working to elevate the entire renting experience for landlords and tenants. But this time, this isn't just a boring old podcast ad. I'm not sure how many episodes we're going to run this on, but it's not just to help you maintain and screen tenants and run leases. This podcast ad is actually a secret. So this month, Rent Ready is releasing a game-changing feature that will help you save a whole lot of time and headache when it comes to crunching numbers on your rentals. I don't even know what it is yet. They wanted me to start doing this and said, so while I can't share it yet, make sure that you stay tuned to the Rockstars podcast for that surprise reveal because we'll have it on good authority that Rent Ready will be letting our listeners know that once top secret feature is ready. So in the meantime, if you're looking to get started on Rent Ready's powerhouse of a platform, I use it for a lot of my stuff. Get signed up, save 50% off on any Rent Ready plan using our special code, Rockstar. 50. So that's 50% off any Rent Ready plan when you sign up using our code ROCKSTAR50 at RentReady.com. It's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com using the code ROCKSTAR50 for 50% off any of them. And again, listeners, I got to say, thank you for listening to our sponsor ads. And if you have any interest at all 
in trying you know any property management software we appreciate it when you go check out our sponsors especially the ones where i'm telling you about it myself so life was pretty good but there's another story here uh, it's a little personal it's a little sad and i want to share it with you after i take a sip of water so in 2011 marcia was finishing up the building of, of our dream home in Frisco, Texas, about a 12,000 square foot house in the Starwood community. Uh, we were sitting on a plane in Chicago, Illinois, just had had the radiology show where I had the James Webb dinner, because once again, I was hot shit, I thought. And um, we stayed at the Peninsula Hotel, having a little cocktail, and she leaned into me and said, I think I have upper respiratory infection, and my stomach hurts a little bit. Can we stop at the doctor when we get home? I said, sure. So we went to the local urgent care clinic. She had a standard workup. She had a sonogram and she had a CT scan. Having a life of an x-ray tech, I asked to see the CT scan. And I immediately noted three large masses in her liver, one in her mid-abdominal region, a few other smaller ones. I searched my mind and decided that these had to be hemangiomas, blood tumors that are benign. They're troublesome, but they're not fatal. Went home that night. Reassured Marsha all night she'd be okay. Next day, got another full workup. Pulled all the resources I had available to me. She had an MRI scan. She had a biopsy. 10 o'clock the next morning, long call. Confirmed diagnosis. Stage 4 pancreatic cancer. No signs, no symptoms, and no chance to live. I took off from my business to take her, her and my boys. We went all over the world looking for answers, even to the Weinstein Institute in Israel. Everybody pointed us to one man, one place, MD Anderson, Dr. James Abruzzi. So for the next four and a half months, we made trips every 10 days to Houston from Dallas, where Marcia went through all manner of treatment and none of it to any success. On May 28th of 2012, the doctors dismissed her from the practice, told her to go home, get her affairs in order, private conversation with me. They estimated she had about 30 days to live. We're making a very sad drive back from Houston to Dallas. About halfway through, I get a very sharp pain in my back. Felt like a knife. I self-diagnosed myself with a kidney stone, and I just thought, Jesus Christ, not today. So I took some of her pain medicine, somehow got her home. At this point, she was a little disabled, a little cognitive impaired. Got her to bed, checked on my boys, Went to local Baylor Hospital, had a CT scan, a workup. Once again, I asked to see the CT scan, and I didn't have a kidney stone. I had the tumor the size of a baseball, and a few days later, confirmed diagnosis of stage three renal cancer on the same day. I went home, sat in my driveway, had quite a few conversations with God. Why me? Why Marcia? Why now that we've achieved our financial dreams? To this day, I don't have those answered. The next morning I went home, or the next morning I got up, arranged hospice care for her, started looking for help for myself, met with a group of doctors a few days later. They suggested chemotherapy and possibly radiation to shrink the tumor. They thought they could get the tumor and possibly save the kidney. I thought about her, thought about my boys, and I said, I don't have time, gut me. So I went to the hospital a week and a half later, they cut me open. They took my right kidney, a tumor, a little bit of a few other things, 
sewed me up, and I walked out of the hospital in 19 hours to go home to take care of her. She made it six more days, passed away with the boys holding her hands and me whispering in her ear. At a funeral in Dallas, flew to Chicago, funeral in Barron, Chicago. I sent the boys off to summer camp, which is what she had wished. They always went to summer camp. I went back to Mississippi to try to get myself together. I think I weighed about 150 pounds at that point. And I uh, can remember standing on our little family lake trying to find the silver lining in this, and I kind of decided that the silver lining would be philanthropy. So I went and got my boys from summer camp. One of the great things about having a couple of dollars in your pocket is not having to worry about what you do. And we literally didn't want to go back to the big house, so we just took off. And we went to the Bahamas. We went to Florida several times. We went to Chicago to see the family, Mississippi, the Wisconsin Dells. We just went. We also established a scholarship for all her, Marcia's nieces and nephews and children of our best friends. We did a scholarship for the synagogue, a preschool. We built a student or a youth lounge, I'd just say, in the synagogue in her honor. Picture still hangs there to this day. We built a kitchen at the summer camp in her honor. Picture hangs there to this day. And we started the endowment fund for communities and schools, and we put a half a million dollars to work there in her honor. And uh, I went back to work, back to rebuilding my life. I knew that the dating scene was going to be tough. I knew that the bar scene was not for me with two little boys. I knew that a guy living three blocks from Jerry Jones' world in a big house with a wallet was probably a person susceptible to drama. So I went on to Match.com. <laughs> Filled out my profile, lied just a little bit, and said I was an x-ray tech. And uh, just played on it for a while, and, and at one point, one morning, I woke up and there was a wink there. And if you know anything about Match, a wink means somebody's interested in your profile. So I winked back. Winks led to texting. Texting led to emails. Emails led to phone calls. Phone calls led to what I just have described often is my first date, uh, my first first date in 20 years, and the last first date for the rest of my life. In my darkest hour, God sent me an angel. He sent me Catherine Lynn O'Keefe, and she's sitting right back there. Love you, dear. We, we initially kept our relationship secret, but eventually she met my boys. They were so gracious and loving and fell for her immediately. I met her daughter. She had two beautiful daughters. She also met my daughter from my first marriage. She lives with near us. Uh, and we had a blast for about three years. We had a wedding for the ages, made the centerfold of bride, Modern Bride magazine. And for a redneck from Mississippi, that was kind of cool. Not to brag too much, but we spent $250,000 on just the flowers. <laughs> bought, bought a house in uh, uh, San Jose del Cabo, Mexico, where we've been over the last eight months. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's been a great run from that. Oh, I forgot to tell you this story, Orange Theory Fitness. So we're in Boca Raton, Florida. It's around 2014. Kathy's with me. A friend of mine says, you ever heard of Orange Theory Fitness? And I said, those are now famous words. What the fuck is Orange Theory Fitness? <laughs> what kind of name is that? But I took the workout the next day. Workout was okay, but what caught my attention was the trainer. And I've said over and over and over that she bled orange. And I went back to Kathy, 
who had a fitness background. And I said, I have a proposal for you. Why don't you research this? If you like it, I'll buy you three franchises. You can quit your job and move in, take care of me and my boys. We'll take our relationship to the final level. Now, if there's you bounce in the room, I will tell you I did a much better job of proposing later, but that was my initial proposal. She liked the concept. We bought three franchises. Probably no less than a month later, Orange Theory called me personally. They had about 100 studios at the time. They said, we're looking for guys like you to help us grow. I negotiated and ended up buying the North Texas territory from them. Uh, and over the next five years, uh, we put together a team and built 33 Orange Theory fitness gyms across North Texas. January of 2019, I hired Fifth Thirds Bank to do uh, take us to market. We had 70 interested parties. We had 19 letters of intent. We negotiated down. And on, on December 19th, December 9, excuse me, of 2019, uh, we sold 33 gyms for $66 million. I retained the area rights. I get a nice check every month because they now have over 100 gyms in that particular area. Uh, so Orange Street Fitness was kind of a, a fun thing, and it's, it's really the most money I ever made trying to impress a lady. <laughs> so what do I do now? I sit on four boards, one's public, three private. Uh, I've been an angel investor for a while. Right now, I think we've invested in 43 companies. Jason and his team run that part of our business. Kathy and I produced a movie with some WWE wrestlers. If you've ever heard of Rusev and Lana, we're good friends with them now. We did a romantic comedy. For some weird reason, in 2018, we won the Nashville Film Festival as the People's Choice Award. The movie is on Netflix, Amazon, all that sort of stuff. It's called Other Versions of You. It's a little comedy. I wrote a book. And because I can't sit still, I started another company. I like the franchise model at this point, so I look for a young new one. And actually, they found me and ended up buying most of Texas for a female weight loss program. We opened three stores, slowed down because of COVID. We've, we've uh, restarted the wheel, and we plan to build between 20 and 25 stores across Texas. Now, uh, just so you know, resilience and things don't just stop. In January, I was in, in Cabo, and I uh, got a phone call. My brother said, hey, dad's sick. Jumped on a private plane to get back to Shady Grove, Mississippi, as fast as I could. Missed him by two hours, passed away. Since we were in town, we said, let's go check on the house because of the Texas ice storms. Went to check on the house, nine pipes burst, $600,000 in damages in our house. It had to be gutted, the bottom floor. We owned a condo, which we had leased out one week before the storm. So insurance said, we'll pay you to stay in a hotel. And I said, well, why don't you just pay me to stay in Mexico? So AIG Insurance, thank you, Lord, pays me $17,500 a month to live in Mexico. So I do. <laughs> uh, September 3rd, we're heading back. We believe we're going to move upstairs and use the month of September to move everything back into the house and kind of get ourselves going straight. Final thoughts. I'm going to pull out my little notes here just for giggles so I can help myself remember. My, uh, my kids and I have a little joke. I used to always say, hey, if I bought a business thing, they didn't teach me that at Jones County Junior College. And one day my little 12-year-old son said, Dad, you should turn that into a drinking game. 
So I'm probably the only guy in this room that did a tequila shot with his 12-year-old son, but I did. So every time Daddy says they don't do that at Jones County Junior College, they didn't teach you that, uh, we do a tequila shot. Uh, one of the things they didn't teach me at Jones County was about relationships. And I'm just going to read this, you know, if you don't take anything away from this, your financial future will be formed, shaped, built, and defined by the relationships you create. Listen to people, invest in people, hold yourself accountable to people. It makes all the difference in the world. Number two, work harder than anybody else. When you're ready to go home, send out two more emails. When your people are ready to go home, send them home and stay. Work harder than anybody else. Number three, big philosophy of mine, hope for the upside, but plan for the downside. Doesn't mean we're not all optimistic, but have your contingency plans in place. Invest in infrastructure. Don't be so quick to take chips off the table. Bring in the CFO, bring in the chief operating officer, bring in the brand manager, invest in your infrastructure, and look for the bigger picture exit. And finally, speaking of exit, A, B, C, D, E, exit. You're starting a company, you have a company, we're always focused on A, B, and C, getting it rolling, getting it going. I now think about E before I even open the company. What is my exit strategy? How am I going to structure the company for that exit strategy? On a personal note, you know, what happened to me could certainly be solved. It's tragic, but what I want you to take from it is really just the resilient part of it. We're all going to have tragedy in our lives. We're all going to get knocked down. The secret is to get back up and find the right path. And finally, and Chris, I'm going to leave you with this thought. This is something that I learned a lot. Today, and if only for today, leave this conference and go home and kiss your wife just a little bit longer. Hug your kids just a little bit harder. Tell your friends that you love them and help a stranger on the street without expecting anything in return. Because I will make you this final promise. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. I sure didn't. God bless, guys. Wow. I love you so much. I can't believe I got to do that. How you doing? You okay? Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> hey, Real Estate Rockstars listeners. This is a commercial break, but this is a quick commercial break for you guys. See, have any of you ever wanted to host your own podcast? Have any of you guys thought about launching a podcast that seemed overwhelming? Didn't quite know what to do. You know, something that we're thinking about launching right now or something that you're starting to launch right now, I don't know how many people we're going to help with, is we want to find listeners like you that want to launch their own podcast. Seemed a little bit overwhelming on what to do next. And we're going to start a service where we're going to help you guys figure out how to schedule your podcast, how to do the interviews. Our backend team will do everything that we do for the Real Estate Rockstars podcast. We will edit the show for you. We will publish it. We will help you with your social media and your images to really grow it. So I think our plan right now is you know three or four podcasts a month. We're up to three or four podcasts a month. The cost will be between 500 bucks and 1000 bucks a month to help you guys publish and launch 
your own podcast. So if that's something you're interested in, be sure to reach out to us. Go find me on Instagram. Send me a message on there. It's at Aaron and Steak. All right, back to the podcast. James's book is called Redneck Resilience. He's very graciously gifted every single one of you a copy of it. And truly, all of us in life have the privilege of meeting people who we realize, whether they know it or not, are not only a mentor, but an inspiration and a gift. And to all of us that know you, you know, it's fantastic. Rosser, Stewart, Marcus, Maxwell, they're all rooting for you. They, they, my phone's blowing up. I have to put it in the back because they're all so grateful that you're here and are hearing and having you share the story with Gopunans that they've all heard. This guy is a saint of a human being. And I mentioned earlier that we talked about nicknames when I, when I like you. You want to share with them what your nickname was? <laughs> Not that you tell the story. <laughs> What's interesting is I put it out to the group. There were about 15 of us in the room. And I said, if there's one person who truly exemplifies the term badass, who would it be? Remember that? I do. And to a fault, unanimously, you're the badass. I felt very honored. All right, real estate rock stars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully, you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also, we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there so go give us a review also be sure to go to hybendigital.com if you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients and we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you so go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.